In March of 2016, a group of environmental activists came together to share a vision. Gathered from across the country, this eclectic mix of men and women came to Washington, D.C. in order to collaborate on the creation of a plan to protect and preserve the natural spaces of the United States for future generations. As our National Park Service celebrates its 100th anniversary, the group aims to make it possible for those in our society least likely to spend time in the outdoors to become passionate stewards of our public land well into the 21st century and beyond. Called the Next 100 Coalition, this dynamic assembly of leaders is telling the stories of African American, Latino, Asian, and Native American people of color who have long enjoyed a history and legacy of conservation. My name is Carolyn Finney. I do a number of things. I guess I'm a writer, performer, cultural geographer, a professor, and mostly I like to tell stories, stories of who I am in relation to the environment, this land, and other people. Other people's stories about difference, how we show up on this land in this time, and even just to talk about place and land and who we are because of it. A member of the Next 100 Coalition, Dr. Carolyn Finney is helping to define a new vision of conservation that will carry us into the future. In the sincere belief that sustainable land management requires the cooperation and the participation of all the American people, Dr. Finney has crafted a compelling narrative that details the rich cultural heritage of our past while celebrating the great opportunities we enjoy today to build a brighter tomorrow. In this moment, she wants us to realize that now is the time to set aside all that has divided us in the past in order to make a better world for millions of children who will one day inherit the land we leave behind. I had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Finney recently in Washington, D.C., and she shared with me her wonderful vision of the future in an essay called This Moment. I'm James Edward Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. moment. In 2008, 4,247,694 babies were born in the U.S. I want us to think about that. 4,247,694 babies. The pop song topping Billboard 100 that year was Low by Flo Rida. The Dark Knight and no, I'm not talking about the president. The continuing saga of the Caped Crusader in Gotham was considered the most popular movie. NASA landed our first robot probe in the polar region of Mars. The top 10 environmental issues of the year included climate change, water, food, and land management. Barack Obama was elected as the first African-American president. In 2008, 4,247,694 babies were born in the U.S. The internet was hopping, the iPhone was ubiquitous, and men and women could say, I do, to whomever they wanted in the state of Connecticut. Two historic sites, World War II Valor and the Pacific National Monument and Minidoka National Historic Site, were added to our evolving list of national parks. In 2008, 4,247,694 babies were born in the U.S. 
I want to talk about how many of those 4,247,694 babies were born with hands that looked like mine. Brown and black chubby hands grasping grass, dirt, and dreams out of thin air. Brown and black hands reaching for the stars while being nourished by the soil from which they sprung. Brown and black hands holding the memories of all our ancestors on this place, on this land. Brown and black hands feeling their way through a telling of our past that is unrelenting in revealing itself in our day-to-day -day practices of relating and living amidst not yet reconciled truths of our pain and limited possibility. We talk a lot about the future, but I want to talk about right now. I want to talk about the moment in Antarctica when 7.2 million cubic miles of ice started to rapidly melt. I want to talk about the millions of acres managed by our government agencies. I want to talk about how many of those 4,247,694 babies will never walk on those public lands. And why is that? I want to talk about American Indians. Apache, Cherokee, Iroquois, Miccosukee, Arapaho, Ute, Pomo, Delaware, Shoshone, Sioux. I want to talk about how many of those 4,247,694 babies are Indians. I want to talk about the moment that Christopher Columbus misread his compass, misread the stars, and began to draw the contours of who we are by standing on this land as who he was. I want to talk about water. I want to talk about sea level rise. I want to talk about the moment one of those brown chubby hands grasped a glass of water in Flint, Michigan. I want to talk about the moment when 905 species vanished forever. I want to talk about how many of those 4,247,694 babies will never see a big mouth rock snail, short-tailed hopping mouse, or a Jamaican monkey. I want to talk about Japanese farmers interned with soil on their hands. Nisei, Issei. I want to talk about how many of those 4,247,694 babies are of Japanese ancestry. I want to talk about the Irish and Germans and British and French who lived the Homestead Act, planting new dreams while loving old land already steeped in memory and the blood of those who came before. I want to talk about the moment in 1903 when John Muir stood with President Roosevelt on Overhanging Rock on Glacier Ridge in Yosemite. I want to talk about the things unwritten but not necessarily unsaid between the two men. About agreements made that day that were informed by the commonly held beliefs of the time about others. The certainty and ease of camaraderie that often comes with power, privilege, recognition, and opportunity. And how the nature of this conversation might look and sound different if it took place today. Because in 2008, 4,247,694 babies were born in the U.S. And a lot of their hands look like mine. I want to talk about the beginning. Yeah, I want to talk about the Big Bang and Adam and Eve. But I want to talk about our beginning. How we each came to understand who we are on the land where we stand. How we know about this land. How the memory of this land is the memory of us. And loving the land is loving ourselves. And when was the moment we came to know that? That everyone in this room understands that. And there was a moment somewhere in your birth, in your life, in your reaching and dreaming that you gave in. 
that you gave in to the possibility of a future moment without and decided to fight. In 2008, 4,247,694 babies were born in the U.S. I want to talk about the not-yet-borns, the chubby hands and dreams that will realize our future moments and ask us who they are on this land. The moment when they will ask us about the 4,000 buffalo in Yellowstone and the slain of millions of others before their time. The moment when they will ask about the trees in Chattahoochee National Forest and lynching. The moment when they will ask about the mighty Mississippi and the body of Emmett Till. I want to talk about the moment they will ask us about that road, that bridge, that housing complex, that golf course, that parking lot that paved over our memories of land and inherent wildness that is their birthright. When I was born in 1959, the LA Dodgers won the World Series against the Chicago White Sox, Frank Sinatra won his first Grammy, Alaska and Hawaii became the 49th and 50th states, and the last vestiges of Jim Crow were about to be obliterated. During the next four years, the first Clean Water Act passes U.S. Congress. Wallace Stegner wrote the Wilderness Letter advocating federal protection of wilderness. 37-year-old Medgar Evers, Field Secretary for Mississippi's NAACP, is murdered outside his home in Jackson, Mississippi. And a bomb exploded at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, killing four young African-American girls with hands like mine who are attending Sunday school, reaching and dreaming. The Wilderness Act and the Civil Rights Act were passed in 1964. I've been thinking a lot about my parents lately. Now in their 80s, they sometimes seem like a shadow of their former selves. I think about some of the challenges I had with them when I was younger. Their rigidity, their tradition, their old way of doing things, their only way of doing things. That was always the truth of what was right, even if I didn't think so. And I didn't think so often. I remember the time I had to sleep with no light bulbs in my room for a week because I came home late after a party and fell asleep with the lights on. Or I could only take hot showers for five minutes or my father would turn off the hot water. Or I couldn't learn to play the guitar because that's something only boys do. I remember my father not speaking to me for a year because I dropped out of college. And though I tried to explain to him about my dreams of who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do, he could not hear me. Or so I thought. The rules of engagement, in terms of how I lived my life, were already spelled out and I needed to play by those rules. What I saw was rigidity, limitation, and fear, and I did my best to distance myself from that as much as possible. But now, as I see them prepared to move beyond this life as they know it to the unknown, I suddenly see all those moments differently. I want to remember what was painful as much as what was wonderful that their story and my story of who I am is deeply rooted in all those experiences, that my fight comes from a well of you better and you can't and we said so, that challenged my edges and allowed me the chance to think differently about what was possible for me and the life that I live in. When I think about our collective past of wilderness, of land, of sky, of brown, of black, of white, I often feel resistance from others to engaging those moments of past, present, remembered. Slavery, American Indian removal, Japanese internment, the treatment of Mexican immigrants, 
those larger moments of you better and you can't and we said so that continues to have ramifications for millions of lives that started as brown chubby hands reaching and dreaming. But these moments are also who we are and the land knows this. Our forests, our parks, our vistas, our beaches, our mountains. When we fight for the land, we fight for ourselves remembered. We fight for ourselves not yet born. We fight for those 4,247,694 babies who may not know, who may not ask, who may not listen, and who may not understand the value of fighting for and loving the land as they see fit. It's not about our rules and our ways and our means. These things will change as they should. Dreams need room to fly. Have you had that conversation where someone tells you that diversity is not as important as climate change? I've been reflecting on that a bit. Maybe they're right. It's not going to matter if we can't grow food in the soil or if species continue to die or if glaciers continue to melt. What does diversity have to do with that? But then I remember that it takes all kinds of people working, dreaming, and fighting to make the possibilities real. I remember that in four short years, half of this country is going to be people who are brown and they will be reaching and dreaming and fighting, remembering the echoes of past, you better, you can't, and we said so, and dreaming new ways of dreaming and reaching and fighting. This is about climate change. This is about land. This is about trees. This is about water. This is about fighting for who gets to set the terms and decide the how we get things done. It's about those that give away all their wealth to environmental causes. Those that walk across the country to raise environmental awareness. Those who work for a little in order to get a lot. Those who create nonprofits and those who organize community meetings and those who turn whole streets into art. It's about those who climb mountains and those who tell stories where Muir and Roosevelt once stood. It's about those who continue to put their hands in the dirt so that we may eat. It's about mothers and fathers and trips to the parks in the city and the country. It's about 4,247,694 babies with chubby hands of all shades and shapes grasping grass and dirt and this moment. This moment is about fighting for the land and loving the land and dreaming the land into the future without the chains of limitations embedded in our systems that keep those different voices constrained, invisible, or silent. Because half of this country is going to be brown and they have an opportunity to work with the other half to fight for this land that feeds us, holds us, and tells us who we are. We talk about America the beautiful. The beautiful is this moment again and again and again. In 2008, 4,247,694 babies were born. And no matter the color of their hands, they will be reaching for grass, dirt, and dreams. And we will need all of their love and fight and possibility. On a flight from Chicago to Washington, D.C., I stood in front of a woman carrying a seven-week-old baby with skin the color of the desert soil of the Southwest. I was uncertain of their ethnicity, but what is certain is that that baby was born in 2016 along with a few million other babies, and they will inherit all the moments that have come before while reaching for the moments yet to come. President Obama did a series of interviews with the New Yorker magazine, and I'd like to end with his words. Quote, 
I think we are born into this world and inherit all the grudges, rivalries, and hatreds and sins of the past. But we also inherit the beauty and the joy and the goodness of our forebears. And we're on this planet a pretty short time so that we cannot remake the world entirely during this little stretch that we have. But I think our decisions matter. At the end of the day, we're part of a long-running story. We just try to get our paragraph right. This is our paragraph, our moment. Let's get it right. Thank you. about how you got to this place. I think you've got a wonderful heritage of your family, especially your mother and father. Give me an idea as to what brings you to do this very important work. Okay, the short answer, because you know there's always a long answer, but the short answer is I grew up in New York. I was born in New York City. My parents came up from Virginia in the 50s. They were poor, black, high school educated, like a lot of folks who came north, a lot of black folks who came from north looking for better opportunity. And the job offer my father got, um, a very wealthy Jewish family who owns a lot of land in New York City, had a lovely, beautiful, I should say not lovely, beautiful 12-acre estate about 30 minutes outside of New York City. And my parents ended up being the caretakers for that piece of land, caretaker, chauffeur, housekeeper. And they did that job for nearly 50 years. They lived on that property full time. They adopted me. They thought they couldn't have kids, adopted me, and then later had two boys. So we grew up in this very wealthy, white neighborhood, only family of color, on this really stunning piece of land that had a small fishing pond, a swimming pool, gardens, fruit trees. And so, so much of my experience was having, you know, growing up in this beautiful, quote unquote, natural space but also being the only folks that were black. You know, I have the story of getting stopped by the cop when I was little walking home from school, and the cop wanted to know, you know, basically what I was doing there. Did I work there? And I was nine years old. I had the sense of being, you know, I went to a public school, um, in elementary school, and getting harassed by some of the black girls that were there who came from a more working class section of town. And this kind of, this issue of class mixed in with race and what did it mean that I got to live on top of the hill in this estate, even though it's, it was only because my parents worked there. And I think a lot about ownership and my parents are now no longer on that estate for a lot of different reasons. And they wanted to stay there, but they could never have afforded that piece of land. And even with all that they did and knew about that land and cared about that land, that doesn't count the same way a piece of paper that shows that you have ownership or money. And if you don't have those two things, what does it mean in terms of your own ownership? And so when I think about how we talk about environment broadly defined, and the larger conversation, some folks say we don't see a lot of folks of color, they're not interested or not, not engaged. And what I would argue about historically is that actually that's never been true, actually. I think it comes down to often how we tell the larger stories, us here in the United States, about who we are as Americans, what environment means. And sometimes we tell those stories separately from the stories of Jim Crow, the stories of American Indians being forcefully removed from their land, the, the ways in which that we treat others, you know, who are different from ourselves, different from those who are in positions of power, as somehow being, if I'm kind, non-existent and invisible, 
if I'm a little more forceful, how we treat them as less than human. And so the environment, conservation, wilderness, all of those concepts, ideas, they, they're not separate from all those other things that have happened you know, in our life that continue to happen as we struggle over what it means to be different from each other in terms of race and class and all the different kinds of privileges that are afforded some of us and not necessarily afforded all of us. For me, we wouldn't be alive. We're not alive without those natural resources, right? We know that. The air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat. For me, they're never separate. They've never been separate. They will never be separate. It is not about humans and nature. It's about how we are those things together, how we show up in this larger, if you want to call it an ecosystem and just the way that we live. The fact that we're still having difficult conversations and people are dying over issues of race and difference. We are still doing that in 2016. Parts of the environment, the natural environment, the non-human environment are dying as well, in part because of our own behavior as human beings. And if I'm kind again, you know, our lack of understanding about what's needed and what's called for. It's an opportunity for us to have these conversations together. I have to do it because I, as a black woman, as a human being, as an American, as all the ways that in which I would be described by others, I can't look at life any other way but see that complexity, that relationship. And for me, this is just a brilliant opportunity for us to actually look at those things together. And nobody said it was ever going to be easy. It's never been easy. It is not about easy. It is not about being comfortable. It's about being bold. It's about leaning in. It's about a moment where we've been given yet another opportunity to address these things and really address these things. And, and we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it alone. Can you give me an idea as to what you think the future looks like? What is oh, the vision I, of a more diverse and inclusive land management policy, a more diverse and inclusive aspect of how we go about living in this world in a, in a meaningful way? I think that, oh, God, I have so many different answers for that. You know, I love science fiction, so and really good science fiction. You know, I could kind of go really all out, but I'm going to re reel it back in. I think... Um, you know, the short and easy answer would be to say that when I look at a lot of the agencies and the institutions, and I mean not just uh, environmental agencies, but also academic institutions and uh, uh, nonprofits, and I look at the leadership, and this isn't anything new, and look at Dr. George Cita Taylor's 2.0 Green Report that, that points this out, that you do not see a lot of people of color in leadership positions. So at the most basic level, it's like, who's, who's our leadership? And what I always say to people that to understand that you know, if you have any group of people that are largely homogenous, doesn't mean that they're not smart, good people that have great ideas. It just means, in my opinion, that those ideas are going to be limited because if it's in a homogenous group, you know, people often operate in what they know, what they're familiar with in their own experiences, as I do too. I want to sit at a table where there's a lot of difference there because it's going to challenge my edges. It's going to make me be better. It's going to make me think more broadly. It's going to make me think more boldly. And so I want to see leadership positions. I want to see curriculum and institutions. I want to see faculty. I want to see students. I want to see people in public office who are diverse both within themselves and within their community that represent really what we have always been. We have always been diverse in the United States. Diversity is not new. The minute Christopher Columbus set his foot on this soil where you had diverse tribes of American Indians, it became more diverse. 
it was always diverse. So it's really about how we handle what I consider to be a truth of who we are as Americans and a truth that I'm really excited about. I'm, I'm so excited to be part of that. I think it's our greatest strength. And I think it's also the place where we fall down. We fall down a lot. So how can we do better? Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you, James. Dr. Carolyn Finney is the author of the book, Black Faces, White Spaces, Reimagining the Relationship of African Americans to the Great Outdoors. She is a professor of geography at the University of Kentucky, and you can follow her work online at carolynfinney.com. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Edward Mills. This edition of the Joy Trip Project was made possible thanks to the support of Choose Outdoors, connecting Americans to public land through outdoor recreation at chooseoutdoors.org. You can learn more about the Next 100 Coalition and efforts to make the management of our public land more diverse and inclusive by following the hashtag InclusiveVision4Next100. Or write to me at info at joytripproject.com. I'd love to hear from you with your questions, comments, and criticisms. But for now, go be joyful. And until next time, take care.